Do you believe Jesus is with you in every moment? One of the best ways to instill this truth is by spending time in reflection and prayer. Dr. David Jeremiah makes this easy with his new 365-day devotional called Walking with Jesus. This exclusive book is available for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a donation of $120 or more, you'll receive the devotional four-pack, perfect for gifting. Learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. If you've noticed that God often uses life's bad times to bring about good, you're not alone. The Apostle Paul noticed it too. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah begins the series, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times, with a look at Paul's reasons for having a positive attitude, even in the midst of hardship. To introduce his message, God Walks With You Through Trials, here's David. And thank you for joining us. In the book of Philippians, in the first chapter, Paul talks about what happened in Philippi when he was there, and the people there watched him go through the suffering that was a part of his experience. And he said, many of the brethren in the Lord, having become more courageous because of my chains, became more bold in the speaking of the truth. And then he goes on to talk about many other things that came about since he was in prison, one of which was that the whole palace guard in Philippi was exposed to the gospel and many of them became Christians. And during the time that Paul was in his greatest time of suffering, God was doing some of his greatest work in his life. We're going to see that in a few moments as we look at the first chapter of Philippians. And the title of today's message is, God Walks With You Through Trials. If you're in a trial right now, just remember, you're not alone. Let's open the Word of God and see what we can learn from the first chapter of Philippians. It was the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Montreal Expo's most feared hitter, Tim Raines, was at the plate. The pitcher, kicking high, threw as hard as he could, and it was the last pitch he would ever throw. A loud, sickening crack was heard all over the stadium. Weakened by undiscovered cancer, the humorous bone in Dave Dravecki's pitching arm had snapped in two. He grabbed his arm to keep it from flying toward home plate as he screamed and fell headfirst to the ground. After many examinations, the doctors told him that his pitching arm would have to be amputated at the shoulder to guarantee that the cancer would not spread to other parts of his body. Dave Dravecki was in the prime of his career and should have expected to play baseball for many more years. He was a very good left-handed pitcher, and now it was over. Several weeks after his surgery, Dave Dravecki came back to the Jack Murphy Stadium to say thanks to his many San Diego friends. As I remember, it was sold out, and he was greeted with a standing ovation. As on every other speaking assignment since he came out of the recovery room minus his left arm, Dravecki glorified God and gave praise to the name of Jesus. But I will never forget the day after his appearance at the stadium, I was reading the San Diego Union sports section, and they reported that Dravecki had received over 700 invitations to speak during the next year. The apparent tragedy in his life 
had created a platform and it began to look different than it did at first. And it reminds us all that God often has hidden purposes in the adversity that he allows. In fact, this book that we're studying, the book of Philippians, is a part of a group of letters called the prison epistles, which means that Paul wrote these words that we are studying from a prison experience. And the book of Revelation that we treasure, written by John the Apostle, was written while John was on the Isle of Patmos in exile because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And I could go on beyond the Bible days and tell you the stories of many, many, many wonderful gifts that we treasure that were created under the pressure of adversity. And it was that way for the Apostle Paul. As we start the next section of the first chapter, which begins at verse 12, we read these things. The verse starts this way, the things which happened to me. How many of you know things happen to us? <laughs> things happen. Say that with me. Things happen. Here was Paul reminding the Philippians that he had experienced some difficult days. For two years, he had been a prisoner in Caesarea, and now he was a prisoner in Rome. And by his own testimony, we know that Rome was something Paul aspired to experience. It was one of his personal goals that before he died, he would be able to preach the gospel in Rome. He prayed about that. And here he is in Rome. Here's what the scripture says in Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for you as testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. When Paul prayed that he might have a prosperous journey to Rome in the will of God, Romans chapter 1, verse 10, I'm sure he had no idea that his prayer would be answered the way it was. My friend Warren Worsby has observed he wanted to go as a preacher and he ended up going as a prisoner. Which reminds us all that when we pray to the Lord, we should be very specific, not only about what we desire, but how we want it to happen. <laughs> Everything about Paul's imprisonment was a mockery. He was insulted and shamed, and yet Paul was still certain that this sorrow and this suffering was part of God's plan for his life. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and in needs and in persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I looked up that word, take pleasure. It means to think well of or to have the right attitude toward. As Paul relayed his situation to his friends in Philippi, he clearly had the right attitude toward his troubles. Here we are going to learn how you can have joy in the midst of adversity as we watch Paul process what is happening to him. His upbeat explanation has become a source of encouragement to me and to all who read this who walk through the valley. In this letter that we are studying, beginning at the 12th verse of the first chapter, Paul gives us seven proven principles as to why adversity should be viewed in a different way than we normally view it. 
Our normal response is, Lord, get this away from me or get me away from this. But I want you to notice what Paul did as he had the right attitude about this. He took inventory of where he was and how it was affecting him. And here's the first principle. Adversity promotes the progress of the gospel. Philippians 1.12 says this, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. When Paul talked about his present situation in prison, notice he didn't talk about how bad the food was in jail, how cold it was at night. He didn't discuss any of his personal discomfort. He was not occupied with the inconvenience that imprisonment had caused him. His concern was primarily for the gospel and its advance. He saw everything in his life through the lens of winning the world to Christ. He told his prayer supporters in Philippi that his imprisonment had actually put the gospel ahead of schedule in Rome. And he used a word there that is very interesting. He described the advance of the gospel and he used the word furtherance. This is a military term used by engineers who prepare a road for an advancing army by removing the obstacles that are in the way, like rocks and trees and of such. And Paul viewed his imprisonment as the removal of the barriers to the gospel coming to Rome. Just as David Dravecki would never have received 700 invitations to speak about Christ's work in his life without his encounter with cancer. So Paul recognized that without his imprisonment, the influence of the gospel in Rome would have been retarded. And we learn more about this when we come to the second point. Adversity promotes the progress of the gospel and it provides opportunities for witness. Verse 13, Paul writes, so that it has been evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. When the apostle Paul spoke of his bonds being evident to all the palace, he was referring to the Praetorian Guard, which was a group of chosen crack imperial troops that the Romans used to take care of those who were waiting to have an appointment with Caesar. These guards would have been exposed to Paul's testimony as he shared it with them personally. And as they listened to him share it with others, they couldn't help but be changed. Apart from his imprisonment, Paul would never have had any way to approach the highest dignitaries in the palace of Rome. We know that some of these high dignitaries for the military were considered at the very highest echelon of Roman government. We know that because of Paul's presence, some of these dignitaries became Christians. How do we know that? Well, in the last words of this book, Paul refers to the saints who are of Caesar's household. Now, let me break this down and tell you how this worked. Suppose Paul had said, I'm going to go to Rome, and I'm going to start preaching the gospel from the highest to the lowest. How many of you know influence trickles down, not up? He could not have done that. Nobody knew who he was. He was a lowly Jew who had had an experience that he talked about and seemed to create trouble wherever he went, how would he ever be able to start preaching to the highest dignitaries in Roman culture? 
Well, God figured it out. He took him there as a prisoner. Now, every day, 24 hours a day, he was chained to a Roman soldier. Every six hours, the shift changed. So Paul had four prospects for the gospel every day of the week. I sat down and figured it out what that is like in a two-year imprisonment. He would have been able to engage 3,000 witnessing opportunities at the top echelon of the Roman government. He was chained to the Roman soldiers. And suppose they were atheists. Suppose they didn't want to hear the gospel. Tough, man. You're chained to the number one witness for the next six hours. Like it or not, you're going to hear the gospel. And as he preached the gospel to his soldiers, everybody listened, and it created a stir, and it was the beginning of the gospel coming to Rome. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have come up with that plan. God, he throws all of the normal things away, and he comes up with his own plan. The Bible says that Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He had a free pass to preach the gospel to the aristocracy of Rome for two whole years. And when he added to his mention the Praetorian Guard, he said, and all the rest, he revealed the fact that his imprisonment was making an impact on everyone in the palace. He had the opportunity to witness to other soldiers, household servants, and government officials. I remember reading in Corrie Ten Boom's first book as she told about her experience in Ravensbrück in the prison there during World War II. She reflected on her pain and her suffering, and she came to understand that one of God's purposes was that her suffering should benefit others. Here's what she said. God had brought me here for a specific task. I was here to lead the sorrowing and the despairing to the Savior. I was to see how he comforted them. I was to point the way to heaven to people among whom were many that would soon be dying. Like many others who have suffered after him, Paul allowed his adversity to become a platform for the gospel. What the enemy hoped would thwart the gospel actually advanced it. If for no other reason than this, we should think twice before we complain about our difficult situations. It just might be that God is up to something eternal. Maybe you're in that place because there's somebody you will meet you would never have met had that not happened to you. And God is going to use you like he used Dave Dravecki, like he used the Apostle Paul. Adversity promotes progress in the gospel, and it provides opportunities for witness. Number three, adversity produces courage in our fellow believers. Notice verse 14. Paul's writing, and he said, Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It is evident from this statement that when Paul was sent to prison, it had an effect on all of his associates, all of his preaching buddies. He was aware that many of them became very confident and bold because they saw his courage. Men and women, bravery is contagious, don't you know? Persecution can be productive. And one has to wonder what would have become of the gospel had it not been for persecution. Isn't it interesting that God used persecution to get people to do 
what he told them to do, and they could have done willingly. For instance, back in the early days of the church, when the Great Commission was given, the priorities of the commission were very clear. Go into Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and the uttermost parts of the world. But the problem is the gospel got stuck in Jerusalem. The church began to grow. It was a comfortable situation. People knew it. It's kind of like what happens to you when you get in a small group and somebody says to you, we want you to go start another group. Are you kidding me? I've never been in a group like this. I'm not going anywhere. And I think that's what happened in Jerusalem. The church grew. It was exciting. Everything was exploding. But they had just taken one step in the steps that were given to them. The Lord said, go to Jerusalem and start, but don't stay in Jerusalem. Well, let me read to you what happened. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. God used persecution to accomplish his purpose. They wouldn't go willingly. He sent persecution, and they had to go. I have to tell you that in my lifetime, I have witnessed the infectious impact of courageous suffering. I remember the death of a man by the name of Paul Carlson, who was a missionary to the Congo. I remember the stories, I'm sure you do, of Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador's Aka Indians, and Chet Bitterman, missionary to Colombia. And these people have probably been responsible for recruiting more missionaries than all of the other recruiting programs put together. When people see courage, they are drawn to it like a magnet. And the Bible says that when Paul went to prison and his buddies saw his chains, they became more bold to preach the word without fear. Number four, adversity proves the character of our friendships. This is a kind of a convoluted little section of this passage, but I think if you listen carefully, we can unpack it and you'll get what's going on here. In verse 15, Paul says that while he's in prison, some indeed were preaching Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Now here's what's going on. Paul's in prison, and he looks out, and he's getting information from his buddies because he's not locked away from information, and they keep telling him what's going on in the church, and what they're telling him is that some of his associates have taken advantage of his imprisonment to advance their own careers. And actually, they're using the adversity that's going on in Paul's life to make things better for themselves. I know that doesn't happen today, but it happened back in Bible days. These people weren't false teachers. They preached the gospel. But Paul saw that they were using his incarceration for purposes that weren't godly. As he described those who were preaching for the wrong reasons, he used an interesting word. He said they were preaching from selfish ambition. That phrase means to canvas for office in order to get people to support you. Their aim was to get people to follow them, 
Paul's aim was to get people to follow Christ. They were building a following for themselves, and they were using Paul's imprisonment as a platform upon which to preach that message. But watch what Paul did. He didn't rail against them. He didn't send somebody to correct them. He sorted this out. He tried to come to some resolution, and here's what he said. He rejoiced that Christ was being preached Even if it was not as he wanted it to be, he knew that though Christ might not honor the motive of the messenger, Christ would always honor the message. Do you know that sometimes people get saved listening to a message preached by somebody who may not even know Jesus Christ himself? The power isn't in the messenger. The power's in the message. You set the message free. And so Paul said, okay, I don't like this. I've certainly got a revelation of who these people are. How many of you know when you go through adversity, you figure out who your friends really are? Isn't that true? Some of them that you thought were really your friends, adversity sorts it out quickly. Paul got his friends sorted out when he went to prison. And the bottom line was, and here's Paul, he cared about one thing, the gospel. I don't care who preaches it. I don't like what they're doing. I don't think what they're doing is right. But thank God the word of God is being set free. Number five, adversity provokes growth in our lives. He says in verses 19 and 20, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul said as he looked at his situation, I'm going to take advantage of this, and I'm going to watch God do in my life something that couldn't be done if I weren't here in this situation. How many of you know that adversity separates men? It makes some men better. It makes other men bitter. Over 80 years ago, a well-known psychologist by the name of William James wrote these words. Listen carefully. He said, most people live, whether physically, intellectually, or morally, in a very restricted circle of their potential being. They make use of a very small portion of their possible consciousness, of their soul's resources in general. He said, much like a man who, out of his whole bodily organism, should get into the habit of using and moving only his little finger. Then he made this astounding comment. Great emergencies and crises show us how much greater our vital resources are than we had ever supposed. In other words, when we go through adversity, we discover a capability that's beyond anything we knew we were capable of. We may have looked at someone going through a situation we're in and said to ourselves, I could never go through that. But it comes And we discover that God has planted within us resources we've never used. He's given us courage we've never known. He's given us wisdom so that we can sort things out in ways that we know. Adversity sharpens your attention. Adversity removes all the non-essential things and helps you to see clearly how to do what needs to be done. Well, I've seen that so often. I've been through some periods of uh, very challenging uh, physical situations with cancer and uh, a couple of surgeries and and, uh, transference myelitis. And during these times, 
I've noticed that God is up to something, and he's doing something special. And sometimes you, you don't know what to think. You don't want to suffer like that. You don't want to have those kind of issues. But when you see God working, it sure does temper your anxiety about it and help you understand that God never misses any opportunity to bring glory to his name and children to his kingdom. And if you're a part of that process, you're a blessed person, I promise you. Well, tomorrow we'll finish up what we started today in Philippians. In the meantime, if you haven't already done so, let me remind you that our resource for the month of January is ready to be ordered. All you have to do is ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point this month. You will find comfort in chaos in this book. It tells you where to find the scriptures. There's 10 powerful promises from God and 10 chapters written around those promises to help you when things are not going smoothly, when things are rough. Um, I told someone the other day that I've learned a truth, that is, when things are going good for you, people listen to what you say, but when things are going bad, they watch what you do. And uh, maybe you're in a time right now where people are watching you and you're wondering, are you holding up God's testimony in this time of suffering? This book will certainly add fuel to that fire, and I hope you'll get your copy. Ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point during this first month of the year. Now have a great day. Be sure to join us tomorrow as we continue our discussion from the Word of God. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. Ten Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue encouraging words for discouraging times on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. You probably know what Mark Twain once said about the Bible, that most people are bothered by the parts of the Bible they don't understand. But Twain said he was most bothered by the parts he did understand. Mark Twain's insight goes right to the heart of the matter. 
The truth of the matter is, the Bible's writers penned words that make claims on our life, especially when they recorded the words of Jesus Christ himself. I'll be the first to admit that Jesus' words can be unsettling. If the Bible bothers you, don't close the book. Keep reading until your bother becomes the blessing God promises. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's book on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.